This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we're going to review Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4, Episode 3 in the Cradle of Vexalon. But first, we will cover the news as always, starting with the strike, um, because Tony and I were both picketing with the picketers on Star Trek Day last week. Yes, the uh, United We Trek event, Coast to Coast. Uh, why don't you start us off? What was it like for you in New York? It was very hot. <laughs> <laughs> but as soon as we got there, they gave us shirts, like WJ on Strike shirts. They had sunblock. They had signs. They had everything. They were so organized. And I realized how hard those strike captains are working and everybody's working to get all the stuff to people and make sure that there's a booth set up, that they're following the rules, that they're not interfering with local businesses um, that aren't, you know, related to anything because New York, everything's all clustered together. So I, I, you know, it's, it's a lot of work and going out there and picketing, like I stayed the whole time because I felt like they asked fans to come. The franchise has given me so much. I truly felt like I'm I'm going to go stand up for them and I'm going to give back. But I was so miserable by the end. And I was like, they're out there every day, man. It's brutal in the in that heat. Yeah. The celebs that were there from Star Trek were um, Ethan Peck, Melissa Navia, Wilson Cruz. Um, Akiva was there. Um, oh, now I'm going to forget her name, but she was in the Serene Squall, the woman mm-hmm. who was who co-starred in that. There were some of the novelists showed up also and just and um, non-Star Trek celebrities like Bob Odenkirk, Michael Emerson. So that was nice. Um, but people marched. They held signs. They talked Trek. I saw a bunch of people. I, you know, the people that I love to see when I go to those things and you run into friends and it's good. And uh, people felt like they were fighting the good fight. Yeah, I mean, it sounds similar to what was going on in L.A. Um, I talked to one of the strike captains. And he said it was about three times the normal size for them. <laughs> there were so many people in L.A. that they were they were picketing on both sides across from the main gate at Paramount. And then there's a second gate that they kept on trying to send people to. Like they were enticing people with free ice cream to go to the Bronson gate. There was a lot of fans. That, I mean, it's hard to tell who. There was a lot of people I didn't recognize. Uh, but then there's a lot of people, you, you know, Billingsley obviously <laughs> was there. Um, because he organized the event along with Jonathan Delarco um, and Natalia Castellanos. Yes, I met her. I, I met her, and Michelle Hurd was there. I spoke with Michelle. Um, she said, you know, that you know they're waiting, you know, to get back to the negotiating table. You know, she put it all on the studios, and you know, she thinks it could go into next year, you know, depending on how they react. Now, you know, apparently the latest news is that the writers and the AMPTP are going to start negotiating. She heard believes that the writers are going to be first because their strike started first. And she thinks that the, you know, that that will be hopefully the basis of a deal with the actors. But, you know, she's standing strong and really happy that, you know, Star Trek fans have been very supportive um, you know, but there there were people from all treks there, Nicole DeBoer, Walter Koenig, Iris Steven Bear, the Kudas, um George Takei was there too, right? And then Yes, George Lavar Takei and Lavar, Bob Picardo, Chase Masterson, Jerry Ryan, Mark Altman, the Hageman brothers, um, and uh 
along with the Benson sisters and Aaron, Aaron Watke. I talked briefly with the Hageman brothers who said, you know, talks are ongoing for Prodigy. They seemed optimistic. A bunch of Enterprise people were there. Um, oh, yeah. You know, uh, so, you know, Dominic and Connor were there. Jack Quaid was there. He said that Tawny couldn't be there, but she really wanted to be there. Oh, Nana Visitor, another one. How could we forget Nana? Of course, Nana? I could never forget Nana. Tim Russ, another, you know. It's like everywhere you look, you know, there was another famous uh, Star Trek actor. There were literally too many people for them to do a group photo. They had to do like multiple group photos. It was crazy. I noticed in one of the shots of everybody, there was a huge billboard above their heads with William Shatner on it. Yes, he's he's part of this. Um, it's a kind of a weird nonprofit. You know, they're like this organization trying to help make the world a better place. And, you know, so there. Yeah. Shatner was looming over all of us the whole <laughs> time. That was so funny. And there were some fun Star Trek signs uh, and Chase Masters had a really good DS9 kind of themed sign. because She was in the famous Bar Association. So it was kind of a depiction of the Bar Association episode. Amy Imhoff showed up and helped make my sign better with some Janeway addition to it. That was perfect. Excellent. Yeah, Excellent. it was good. She goes, who else needs a Janeway? I'm like, I do. So, and of course, Little Riker was there on the picket line with me. The atmosphere was great. Like people were so, people, a lot of fans showed up, I think just, I mean, it wasn't anywhere near what I'm sure you guys got in LA. And so many people are out of work. I mean, that, the the hard truth of this is that it's, I mean, your town, L.A., how many people there who are usually working all the time are now not working? It's crazy because the it reaches out. It's there's no there are no productions. So that's an insane amount of people in all different professions. Right. And for the writers and the actors, they are fighting for something for the hairdressers and the set, you know, builders. They're just waiting to work again. And some of them are leaving. You shared a tweet um, from one of the writers on card who said he said he has to sell his house. Yeah. You know, and that's stories repeated over and over and over throughout L.A. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm kind of optimistic. I think that the writers will cut a deal before the end of October, and then the actors will follow by November. That's my prediction. I hope so. I, you know, I mean, separate from how much I want more Trek and more shows, I just, the idea of all these people not working is very sad. Indeed. And, it, you know, this did get local news coverage. You know, uh, George Takei obviously had a scrum of reporters around him. So the event did what they wanted to do in L.A., which is raise awareness, talk about the themes of Star Trek and how it ties into the the thing so well done with you know billingsley and his group yeah um, and and let's just hope they don't have to do it again you know because this is the second trek themed picket mm-hmm. and although i'm happy to go i don't want to go to a third you know let's just let's wrap this thing up <laughs> yeah. let's get everybody a deal everyone can agree with and move on yep all right so i mentioned prodigy briefly uh there's some good news for prodigy out there they won an award. It's called an AN Award, A-N-N Award. This is coming from India because – so Ben Hibon is the you know French director, you know, and his team kind of lay out the look of the show. But the actual animation work is done by this company called Mikros, um, which has offices all over the world, including India. And that's where all the animation is. That's the animation studio for – Prodigy. The studio does almost all the stuff for Nickelodeon. So it's kind of the go-to place for Nickelodeon. 
you know, Paw Patrol and all sorts of stuff. Right. They were nominated for a number of awards um, across their portfolio, including Prodigy, which went up for Best Animated Series and uh, Best Animator. And they ended up winning for Best Animator. One so of what their does that people. mean, Best Animator? Like a specific person on the yeah, team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just one of their animated, you know, one of their animators was given an award for his work. I'm so curious. How do they know what? <laughs> anyway. Well, this, I mean, as you know, in all awards things, you, you know, the company. You submit it. Yeah. You submit something and they're like, here's what he did. And then they're like, okay, that was great. You know, so this guy wins. So, so, you know, so that's, you know, a nice little thing for Prodigy. Which they deserve because the show is gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, when they took it on, it was really ambitious, uh, more ambitious than anything they'd done before. And but they still delivered such a beautiful show. So well yeah. done on M- Mikros Animation. So uh, what's next? Well, we're talking animated stuff. So I feel like we should segue into the latest uh, very short Treks episode called Holiday Party. So let's let's get the facts first. Voice actors included Ethan Peck. Bruce Horak as Hammer, Celia Rose Gooding, um, Gia Sandu, Doug Jones, and Bonnie Gordon. The, the premise being, because of the names, it's set at last week. The, the first one released on Star Trek Day was set on Kirk's Enterprise, although... I don't think that was Kirk. I'm, I don't think he was But it's on even... Kirk's... Right, but it's on Kirk's Enterprise. It's right. kind of... But this is set on Pike's Enterprise, because you could tell the difference, and, it was the, you know, it, with a little bit of a kind of guest appearance of Saru um, in a like flashback, I guess, or something like that. Well, except he's in a uniform from the future. Right. That didn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, again, these things are not canon. They are silly promotional things. They are not on Paramount Plus. They actually are to promote Paramount Plus and animation, even though they're using the filmation style. And what we're starting to see is that each one has a kind of kernel, a single joke. And then they just drive that joke into the ground, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and unfortunately, it's also not a super funny joke. It's like a mildly funny joke. Like I, you know, at the very beginning, I thought there was a little bit of funny stuff in there. I thought Hammer was good at the beginning. I thought Spock saying that the best entertainment is to quietly meditate on how to eradicate emotion was Spocky and fun. I thought Spock saying that um that T'Pring has dumped him for other men several times was <laughs> funny. And then I thought the rest of it was just, and I didn't laugh out loud, I got to say, this time at anything. And then the rest was just progressively less funny, I got to be honest. Yeah, the premise of the joke is it's Spock trying to be funny by doing a quote unquote blooper reel, but all the bloopers were like horribly sad or just annoying. Which was like, just meant Spock was stupid. You know what I mean? Like that was, and again, like you could take, first of all, I think you can be funny and irreverent with Star Trek. And if it's funny, it's good. I don't care. Like I don't have any sacred thoughts about don't make fun of those people because you can make fun of all of them. I just, I didn't understand what, who this was for. Like, is it for Star Trek fans? Is it for little, is it for like 14 year olds who think, you know, fart things are funny well sometimes i think fart things are funny but i was very like are they trying to draw in new people because these are definitely not making most of the fans happy some are it's hard to say i mean i in each one i'm mildly amused and then lose interest i'm still looking forward to the one aaron did um 
Same. This one's written by an Emmy-winning SNL writer, but she had a kind of surfaced view of Spock, I felt. But we'll see where the rest of them go. There's three or four more, three more left. Uh, you know, I've liked work that Casper's done on Adult Swim. I think he's a talented guy. So I haven't given up on this yet. But um, I just think they can't decide if they want it to come from we know the character, so it's funny because of that, or it's just wacka wacka. Oh, so it's definitely wacka I think wacka. that they have to well, figure out. And then I have to bring up this weird thing because someone brought it up on Twitter and it made me look twice and realize, holy shit, I think she's correct. Which is in the shot of Saru, there's like a white Giorgio and a white Michael Burnham. <laughs> like if you look at them, they're wearing their Discovery uniforms they don't have those names and the, and the Michael Burnham, you know, is like a different, has a different job, but the hair and the basic look, it's just, there's just something off about it. I don't remember that. I can't imagine they would want to have that as a message. It's probably just an error in the animation. So yeah, who knows? that's what I thought too. Cause that's definitely not their message, but I just kept thinking like, I wish they would do comedy. Like when Futurama would do Welshie, like, you can make fun of Star Trek with Welshie on Futurama. There's so many ways to completely like you want to make fun of blooper reels. You could. It's great. Yes. Make fun of blooper reels and make fun of the you know, I I think they were trying to reference like all those shots in the blooper, blooper reel of the doors not opening when they're supposed to. When yeah. Uhura was like things bump into it. But I was like, you just, you... anyway, they just missed the mark for me completely. So another thing that happened on Star Trek Day, they, you know, Star Trek Day, not a lot happened <laughs> uh, because of the strikes. They couldn't do with the, you know, the special came out. As we talked about last week, the special was essentially just a kind of a weird hodgepodge commercial for Star Trek without any news in it. I liked the package in it about Discovery. It was kind of a nice look back and look forward for Discovery, even though it didn't have any yeah. thing new, but it was well made. But, you know, it's it, it's kind of a weird mix of things, you know, um, you know, the, there was Tawny and Eugene looking at weird stuff from Star Trek. Then there was this man on the street stuff. I don't know. I'm not sure that was all that funny. And do you have any other thoughts on the special or? No, I mean, I agree. Like parts of it were well made, but overall it wasn't it didn't pop to me. Right. Um, I've got to see two people I know were in it. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was. So on Star Trek Day, Paramount announced that they're doing a collaboration with Kid Cudi, who's a popular musician. <laughs> for, <If> those... <laughs> for those younger than we are. <laughs> um, and uh, apparently he's a fan of Star Trek and um, he's writing a Star Trek theme song. And there's going to be some associated interactive gaming component and a, quote, bold fashion collaboration that will all, all be launching in October. So we really don't know what this is. There's like this very short teaser video. They're obviously trying, you know, and Star Trek has done this in the past. They did this with, you know, beyond, right. They did the collaboration with. With Rihanna. Not that this is the same thing, but no, you, know, you want to appeal to younger people. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it just feels like a big cash grab, <laughs> you know, more than, making a connection i may i mean we'll see but they just didn't give us enough information so it just sounds like this nebulous thing that is a way to perhaps sell some expensive clothing maybe let's wait and see what it is you know oh yeah 
But every once in a while, Star Trek tries to, you know, get hip. Wasn't there some like disco song that they released with Star Trek, the motion picture? No, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they should try. They should definitely try to go mainstream and try to find their way in. But um, yeah, (laughs) I just this to me was just so nebulous. Well, because it's really something coming in October. And let's 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 uh, table this for now, shall we? (laughs) Done. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about Star Trek Picard for a minute because we have um, Matt did a full review up on the site of uh, season three on Blu-ray. And really good detail. Really good detail about what you're going to get. It's totally worth it. Um, and then we also have an article that tells you how to find a cool Easter egg in Star Trek Picard, the final season on DVD and Blu-ray. Which is basically that the poker scene at the very end, they filmed for a very, very long time. Just let them go at it and you can watch the whole thing. So it's a hidden special feature, which is kind of cool. So before we get to Lower Decks, you know, there's actually a few little gaming updates. We mentioned this before. There's a game called Star Trek Infinite, which is a what they call a grand strategy game. Think of like civilization, that kind of thing. And you play one of the empires like the Federation or the Romulans or the Klingons over decades set in the next gen era. You actually start before the next gen era and you, you could build the Federation or whatever. Or the Cardassian union. Yes. Right. Um, so now we have a release date. It's coming on October 12th and they put out a new trailer. And if you pre-order it, you get some special lower decks bonuses. You know, the, the company that's doing this, it, it's kind of a no brainer for them. They put out this, game called Stellaris, which is a space strategy game, which had this really popular Star Trek mod. And I guess the company is like, well, we could do that. <laughs> it's our game. You know, why yeah. don't we make, you know, why don't we actually license Star Trek? So, um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to that. Paramount it did this fun, free, silly thing called Decked to promote Lower Decks Season 4, which is basically Lower Decks Wordle. But it's it's once a week um, because the shows are coming out once a week. I mean, there is, and I think I've talked about it on this podcast, Trekle, which is a yeah. daily Star Trek wordle. The funny thing is, like, I went to play this new one because I was like, oh, that's fun. And the first word I thought, oh, well, five letters. I'll just type Tendy. And it didn't accept it as a word. Yeah, that's interesting. Even though the first week the answer was Tuvix, which was a Star Trek right. character. Um, no, and so. it's honestly, it's just a matter of programming. Like when you're doing a Star Trek one or, you know, there are ones for Taylor Swift's lyrics and this and, you know, all these different things. You've got to preemptively try to think of all the Star Trek things someone might guess. That's but true. I, I was surprised because I thought <laughs> Tendi would have made, maybe by now you could type in Tendi. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll have to let them know about that. Yeah. You could play it yourself at paramountplus.com slash D-E-C-K-D on mobile or anywhere. Um, and then, you know, if you went just like with Wordle, um, you could annoy your friends on social media with your results. <laughs> yeah. I'm a word, word game gal. So I will be playing it even if I can't use Tendi. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, uh, there's a new season of uh, Star Trek online out. This one is called incursion just came out on PC this week. Harry Kim is back voiced, obviously. Uh, by Garrett Wong. Uh, he's Captain Kim in this, you know. Yay! And, so he's been Captain Kim in Star Trek Online for years. He did this in 2015. So some people some people don't remember that. And, and 
consider this some kind of canon violation just because it's funny that he was you know never got promoted but on star trek online he's been a captain for a long time so yay um and they're facing some new borg threat but you know it's i mean that game you know 30 seasons it's been out for over 10 years it's amazing that it's still going it's great it's got a loyal fan base um it's free to play but obviously you know you pay to get you know add stuff to your ship and all sorts of stuff. So some of the stuff included in this new season are things like you could get a Murph as a pet. Can um, you get a Moopsie? <laughs> I, I, you know, I think that's, I think that I would imagine that's coming, but there, and there's some other lower deck stuff in there, which is, cool. I mean, as, and I meant some other prodigy stuff in there uh, coming, but they, they've done lower deck stuff in the past. So I would not be surprised if people are loving the Moopsie. Um, so I think, <laughs> we're going to we're going to see some moopsie for sure. So let's let's talk about lower decks, right? Yeah, Get well, we have a fun article up on the site um that is just one of our theory articles. Uh Joe did it. Yeah. Um talking about how what the the on you know, we've been talking about the serialized story, the ongoing threat that's been threading through a couple of episodes. So he threw in a bunch of different ideas about what could be going on. Um people should go read them and then throw their own ideas into the comments because I'd love to see what they think. There's already ideas for more of them and I've seen some crazy theories online. Cool. You know, the other thing, maybe you still don't have Paramount Plus and haven't watched the season premiere. You now can for free on YouTube, but you know, you probably have already seen it. So let's talk about episode three and just move on, right? Let's do it. In the cradle of Vexalon. It's a, a very Star Trek name, Vexalon, by the way. Yes. Well, there were things that were very Star Trek about this whole thing. And also comment in a bit, both embracing and commenting on Star Trek tropes, I would say. Yes. You know, my initial thought is I liked it. Uh, I think season four is working well. And um, this was another strong episode. It was a bit of a tricky episode to do because they they decided to do it an A, B and a C story. But the C story was just as big as the A story, you know, so it's almost three A stories. It was three A stories. And I thought they were all connected by a theme. They were all connected by a theme, but uh, not the one dig I would say is they were not plot connected Two two out of three were plot connected Th- three out of three were theme connected. And I thought they could have gone for the trifecta and actually somehow connected the Rutherford Mariner Tendy storyline to what was happening on the planet. Maybe I didn't need that. I felt like I liked the fact that they were just like, how do you think Boimler's doing? And they're like, well, he's either doing great or he's all sweaty. It made sense that, you know, because we always, you know, we've been, I've joked for years, like you always, it's how Lower Decks came about, right? Is that there are always all these people that aren't involved in whatever's going on. And so in a way to me, that's, that was true to the show. And I I think it was still, you know, it was about leadership. Two of the stories were about leadership and then all three were, so, and then two of the stories were about dealing with being promoted and what that might mean. And I felt like that all it connected the three of them in yeah. a weird little Venn diagram kind of thing. And it's also one of those episodes for me that the more you watch it, the more stuff you see. And I don't mean Easter eggs. I just mean like side eyes and glances and funny little things. So it's one of those that I think is going to be very much worth watching over and over. And then some good classic Trek tropes, like a giant computer that's running everything. Yeah. If they keep getting nervous, it's going to try to take over. 
Right. I love everyone's like, is it trying to take over? And I'm like, no, no, no. It's really nice. We right. love this computer. Um, and, it's like he's um, not trying to subjugate anyone, is he? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for good reason. Uh, people are cynical about that. But this is a, a nice, benevolent <laughs> computer that hasn't been updated in a million years or whatever. Six million years, something like that. Um, so it uses um, giant floppy disks. <laughs> You know, what was great about that storyline is that finally Don Lewis and Captain Freeman got to be a character in the first couple of episodes. I don't think she said anything in episode two, really. No, she it, had one line, one, I think, a holodeck line. Right, through the wall, you yeah. know, and, uh, you know, the first episode she becomes, she gets two Vicks halfway through it. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, now she's like, oh, look, now I get to do something and. You know, we learned that she did, you know, work uh, minored in ancient technology and uh, <laughs> no, in archaic technology. I thought that was so good. I thought she was very funny. And that was she led that storyline. Well, you know, I thought her, you know, interactions with both Billups and Ransom and the locals and the computer, Vexalon, was was all very funny and very Star Trekky at the same time. Yes. Yes. And also like very relatable on a non-Star Trek level to anyone who's ever had a boss who insisted on doing everything. Yeah. Cause like even yeah, like from the start, Ransom's like, should we bring in some engineers? She's like, no, I can take care of this, you know? And But I also get it because there is a point. I mean, this is again, these themes that are all the way through for her. It was also, I think you also get to a level where your whole job is just telling other people what to do. And then you just want to do something yourself. Which yeah. is clearly like it was getting to her that she was always just telling other people to do things and she wanted to do something and she thought that she would be good at it. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is that she was kind of like she found the ancient scroll in an old junk drawer. I mean, she was kind of she was able to you know read things and kind of get close to figuring it out. Like she did find how to put it into safe mode, <laughs> but uh, Billups, uh, you know, Billups finally showed up and she wouldn't listen to him. Billups like that might actually do a reboot. She's like, ah, whatever. You know? Right. Um, I guess that's, you know, it shows, you know, a little bit of knowledge could be a dangerous thing. Her minor gave her just enough knowledge to be dangerous. You right. Know? And, <laughs> but still very good storyline and, you know, and tied really well into the Boimler storyline and the way those bounced back and forth, I thought really worked well. As things kept on escalating on the planet to the apocalyptic level, you know, I thought that was that really worked well. I also really related to Boimler because it's so when he talked about getting promoted and that he feels weird suddenly being in charge of them. The first time I got put in charge of people, I actually had a very similar uh, crisis of confidence. So yeah, it was I'm, like that. I completely related to his whole thing. I mean, except when he's like crawling on the thing with, and he's got his legs there, and then he's using his teeth to turn it. <laughs> but I get, like, I got it, and it, I liked that his motivation was he didn't feel like he could put them in danger. Like at first, it, I worried because you know one of the was it Big Ed or Big I forget. You know the, these 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 ensigns all have names, but it's hard to remember them. Yeah. But you recognize, you know, them, you know, like, because they're, they're always kind of in the background. There's the Zinti one and, right. you know, a couple of the others. They weren't, weren't doing it right. So he decided they had to do it for, you know, and I didn't like that because it's kind of like Boimler being a know-it-all and not 
helping them learn and get better and just saying, you know, screw it, I'll do it. But in the end, we learned it was really more about his fear of putting them in danger. Again, I feel like the best element is that they added to lend to this story to, to move that story along and to kind of help Boimler realize what he was doing wrong. Um, yeah. But, but very funny along the way, for sure. It was great use of that character. Although it was kind of her fault because at first Boimler wasn't freaking out as much until she pointed out the statistical fact that ensigns under new commanders, you know, like Boimler himself, um, are more likely to have death and or dismemberment. Yes, and or. And or <laughs> dismemberment. So that that really pushed him over the edge. But otherwise, she was great in pointing out to him when he should be delegating, because both both of these storylines are about a failure to delegate for different reasons. Right. But I, And then I liked the end when he ordered everyone away, and she's like, no, in this case, yes, you should listen to his order. Yeah, she was the perfect person to have there. I also liked at the beginning when she said that everything that has ever occurred is science stuff, she says <laughs> to him. <laughs> Well, he was dismissive to say, you know, she's only here if there's in, science yeah, stuff. Yeah, in case there's science stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good point. Yeah. She is such a great addition to the show. This is why I think, you know, episodes one and three are stronger just because she's in them. I, I just think she's helping this season. Yeah, agreed. It's, wor it's working out well. So I'm glad she was in this storyline as opposed to the trio storyline. I think it was a better fit here. Yeah, no, I agree. And the other thing I really liked about the storyline on this crazy world was when I loved how it looked. I thought it looked fantastic from the actual building of it to like the, you know, the ring shape and all that to when things started going wrong and the clouds started falling and smashing and crashing <laughs> into the thing. It sounded so, it sounded good and it looked good. All that stuff was sort of beautiful in its own strange way. And it's a classic Star Trek thing. This is a well-known sci-fi megastructure, a ring world, as famously the ring world set of novels by Larry Niven, which is why I was kind of glad there was a Zinti in the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, you know, Next Generation, they visited the Dyson Sphere in the Scotty episode. and But, you know, we've never seen a ring world on Star Trek. It looked um, great. Yeah, and it, yeah, it was it, – and it's a very cool concept. So there's a Federation world. But the ring was built by some ancient people who ascended to higher energy beings millions of years ago. Then the Corazonians somehow showed up and took over. And because this computer, and I think there was an interesting commentary about the Federation and certain people in the Federation where these people, because of this benevolent computer that takes care of everything, all they do is sculpture and art and poetry and they're they've kind of lost the ability to take care of themselves in a way. And their good sculptures look a lot like their bad sculptures. Right. Ransom <laughs> is is quite I mean, Ransom has surprisingly on point artistic observations. I thought that was funny. I also the other thing I thought was great was their physical trait to make them not look human was very long extended eyebrows. Some little forehead action and yeah, the big, big old eyebrows. Um, <laughs> the occasional unibrow, but mostly just going off way past their heads. <laughs> yeah. They're like the perfect one-off. We'll never see him again. I mean, they'll probably be in the background, but it's such a classic Star Trek thing. It's a weird planet, or in this case, rig world, weird computer, 
weird alien society. It's a TNG premise, but then they run with it in a fun way yeah. to make it funny. But, every, you know, you could have done this whole episode as a Voyager or Next Gen episode and, it, you know, with less jokes and it would have worked. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is when this show, I feel, is working well is when it's kind of showing you the Lower Decks version of a visit to a, yeah. you know, a planet. And then up on the ship, there was that was so much fun. I thought that whole storyline with all three of them was great. I mean, it is. They're trying to figure out, okay, now we have this new role. So what are we? Are we being hazed? What's going on? And all the details of that story were all so funny. Like, you could isolate any of them, and they were hilarious. Like, yeah, you want to use tongs, which will make it twice as hard <laughs> because it's so hot. And then it's going to this gas is going to come in. And, you know, the hidden there's a hidden button, which apparently seemed obvious and an escaped ferret. <laughs> right, right. Name, named Lancelot. Um, yes. The big story is they were kind of, you know, is life any different for us now that we're lieutenants? Then they're given this shit task yeah. of sorting chips which seemed very ensigny, I think they pointed out. What the show is doing, so I remember when it was announced that everyone's getting promotions and people are like, well, it's not going to be Lower Decks anymore. Um, they're showing you, you, you know, this. they are st all still Lower Decks, even if they're Lieutenant JGs, yep. and which is all wrapped up in the end with Ransom. So did you think they were being hazed or not being hazed? Like, did you buy Dirk's story? Because that was the twist was oh no no this you know this is all real and and uh you know and then they had to scramble to undo the prank that they were about to pull on him i mean i i thought it was fake because his sob story didn't make sense yeah you know like because he was in the room when they got there so he's obviously not traumatized by the room he seemed quite comfortable there and then and he was like i can't even go near the you know what was the room called with the objects in it the anomaly room the anomaly room um but then he was he was going to anyway, I was like, this guy's up to something anyway. But it was but it was I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but I was pretty sure. Yeah, which is good. You know, I wasn't a hundred percent, but I was pretty sure as well. But it was still all very funny and you know, the the you know, after the turn, um, you know, just what they had to do because they set up the trap with the wadi game and the <laughs> and I mean, the it's, it's, box. Yeah, because then the they probe. took well, the, but the main, the core of it was the gift box and the Wadi game, which are both very annoying. Yes. Right? The Al Alla Moraine and the Armin Shimmerman box. Uh, she goes, Alla <laughs> Lemon Meringue. Like she <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those are just, you know, and, and they're like, you know, this is kind of like Tuvix where they're like, they're leaning into things. They're like, yep, people hate those things. So let's bring them back and make them funny. Yep. The Catan probe was thrown in at the end, which was <laughs> the the funny thing about this gift box was it's been hanging around with Dr. Tana. So it had a mouth like a trucker, but then it got zapped at the Catan probe and it suddenly missed its wife. Yes. It's very, very sad. <laughs> I loved it at the beginning when it said that it didn't want to be in that room. It wanted to live with Rutherford and he just goes, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Is this going to be a recurring character? Nope. Yeah, um, no. Because <laughs> the other storylines really had no Easter eggy connection things. You know, they were, again, like I was saying, it's like a new episode of Next Gen. Everything's kind of new, although you get Landru vibes and yeah. that kind of stuff. So in this one, you know, the, 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 of course, the room was full of Easter eggs. You've got Nomad in there and all Yay. sorts of stuff. 
But then there's some new stuff like the hat that turned Billups into a church tower. And what's yeah. funny about the show is like like in the one before when they were when Ransom and, and Mariner were arguing in episode two. I was like, wait, what episode did he, you know, because Ransom did turn into a big head, you know. So, yes, sometimes when they make one of these references, you're I, I, I'm like, what episode did that happen? But it, it, it it's just a, a new thing that they just didn't they have threw. a masks episode. Could it have been from the masksy episode? Uh, did I maybe, but I don't think so. I mean, okay. not a church tower. And I think the spider was totally new. So, um, <laughs> yes, I think so, too. You know, so they, they, you know, they added some new stuff into the room. They could have, you know, they could obviously they know this, you know, like when they visited the collector that, you know, the anomaly room could have been chock full. There was just enough stuff in there to keep us going without turning it into a fire hose of this thing and that thing. And I recognize that thing and that right. kind of stuff because um, the story, the importance of the story was what's life like for them as junior officers now and you know they're basically still getting pushed around by uh this guy dirk who we've never met before i don't think and yeah no i didn't know him and ransom um so lancelot yeah exactly it was all part of the plan i mean it was a fun storyline i liked everything happening on the planet more i i get your point about how it's not Nice that since they're lower deckers, they're unaware. But I mean, it's when everyone on the planet is uh, facing possible death, you'd think word would bubble up to the lieutenants, but uh, apparently not. I don't know. I feel like that's the big question of Star Trek all the time is do how does everybody find out what's going on? There isn't always time to brief people and fill them in. So I find it an interesting question and it left it mostly unanswered. Yeah. Um, they also did some of their own, their Easter eggs of, I mean, I wouldn't even call it an Easter egg, but ref, referring to their own show with the koala, where Boimler saw the koala and the mountain. The Black and, Mountain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the weird Twin Peaks room. <laughs> right. So, so the, I mean, so getting back to the Boimler story, that surprised me at first, like, because they had the last minute, he kicks everyone out and he holds out so that his thing can power the computer to reboot. He pulls off the last minute thing, but then it still blows up and and he dies. Well, you never forget your first death. Everyone dies and comes back from the dead in the end in Star Trek. It's what soap operas and Star Trek have in common. The, but they kind of hung a lantern on it when Dr. Donna doesn't know how she brought him back. Right. Because <laughs> explaining how you bring someone back from the death always creates problems like magic con blood and all that, you know, so... They're not going to tell us how they did it, so you, we can't say, oh, they've essentially erased death, right? So it was unique to Boimler's circumstances that Tana was able to bring him back from the dead um, <laughs> before he could – the koala said something, but we really don't know what he said. Right. But I was expecting Laura Palmer to show up. I know. The, if somebody would just talk back, oh, maybe the koala was speaking backwards because it was in the okay. Twin Peaks room. When you're in that room, people would speak backwards. No, um, he wasn't in there very long. So, <laughs> and it actually wasn't red; it was more gray. So, this is a, a lower was, decks version, right? But it was the Twin Peaks room. Oh, for sure. Yeah, which is it was just kind of fun, you know, to throw throw that kind of stuff in. Yeah, I, that might have been. I mean, I guess the Freeman one is my favorite, only because we haven't got enough of her yet, and it was nice. You know, I'm a big fan of the character, and I, I it was nice to get some Freeman. 
Yeah, I missed her. Like the week before, I was disappointed that she wasn't there. But I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was just, it moved really quickly. I was happy jumping back and forth from one story to the other. I loved the connecting theme. And I felt that there was something very real at its core, talking about leadership and promotion and delegating and and navigating all those things. Like that was legit. Yeah, but they never forget to make it funny. And they're making commentaries on Star Trek at the same time. And I guess just, you know, on one hand, it's practical to make room. They didn't give us the season story arc. So the mystery ship doesn't show up this week in the two weeks in a row because they were kind of setting up a pattern of who were they going to blow up this week? But this week there was no mystery ship cut away in a way that helped because those two minutes or whatever, you know, helped them have three A stories. Yeah. And interesting, there was no teaser. Yeah, we went right into that produced open from the top. Which is unusual for the show. I think they've done it before. Some other Star Trek shows have done it. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to do the teaser, but I think that probably also helped with this kind of three-story structure they were doing. Yep. So, no, it was it was great. Yeah, I have nothing else to add except that I enjoyed it and I look forward to watching it again in the future and forgetting stuff and then seeing it again and laughing all over again. You know, something interesting in these last two episodes, so the first episode was written by Mike and uh, directed by Barry Kelly, who were kind of the A-team of the show. Episodes two and three were written by people who've worked on the show, writer's assistants or people in the art department. Both of these last episodes, they had storyboard artists directing their first episode. So it's we're seeing them you know, build their own team that they've been developing for years. And Mike is moving these people up to either full director or full writer status. And I think that's. I love that. And I think that's happening on, you know, I remember on Discovery, you'd see people who were writers assistants getting to do their own episodes. Like they definitely are fostering that kind of atmosphere on these different Trek shows, letting people try things they hadn't done and step up because they know they know their show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, the the writer of this one has been there, I think, since season one. You know, yeah, so, so that's in the, great. Yeah, in the writer's room all that time, now writing his own episode. Yeah. Famously, the person who's written more Star Trek than anyone, Brandon Braga, started as a WGA intern on the show. Yeah. Mike is carrying on that tradition, which is nice. Yeah, I think it's a great tradition. Uh, so I think we should wrap up with our bits of the week. Well, mine is gaming related. I've been playing a new game, which you've probably seen people talk about on social called Starfield. Oh, yeah. Everybody's talking about it. It's an RPG. It's basically like Skyrim or Fallout. It's from the same company in space. And uh, so if you like games like that, you'd like this. But there are it's fun to see Star Trek connections in the game. There's there's missions you go on that are very Trek themed. I went on one, you know, where you randomly find this probe. And it's basically a V'ger kind of episode. Um, and you have to make these kind of moral decisions about what you do with this V'ger-like thing. And there's another f- kind of first contact mission. But then there's fun things like, you know, as your character, you can choose to have parents. Um, and you go visit your parents. But if you do, they're vo- it's voiced by Dana Visitor and uh, Tim Russ. Aww. There's a kind of an industrialist character voiced by Armin Shimmerman. And uh, there's a, well, the, a, a guy we don't know yet in Star Trek, but Elias Tufexis is a big, is the kind of villain of Discovery Season 5. And he does a number of uh, the main voices and stuff like that. And then another fun thing is 
you could build your own ship in this show and people are building, you know, Star Wars ships and Firefly ships. But a lot of people are trying to build like I've seen people try to build a Voyager and it's really hard because like the pieces aren't round enough, you know, but people are cobbling together Enterprises and Voyagers and other Star Trek ships. Um, so it's just a, you know, a fun way for Star Trek to be connected to this, you know, huge game. Um, so anyway. I'm 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 enjoying it so far. Yeah, the listeners can't see Tony, but I can because I'm watching him on video, and he's come alive when he's describing this game. So there's a lot of energy there. Well, I you know I loved uh, you know it's funny like people are like oh it's just Skyrim in space. I'm like Skyrim is like the best video game ever made. People still play it ten years later. So how is Skyrim in space a bad thing? You know, but it's much better than just Skyrim in space. Okay, let's move on to your bit of the week. Mine is a cute little story that I'm just going to share. And I had tweeted about it so we can link to that. But basically my 16 year old who's in high school in her third year of high school message texted me and said, my AP language teacher just did a persuasion lecture based off of Star Trek. So I text back like, that's great. Tell me about it. And she, she said, on the different ways they use to persuade how the three captains, Kirk, Spock, and Troy, use emotion, logic, and ethics. So I was like, the three captains, Kirk, Spock, and Troy. I go, Troy wasn't a captain? <laughs> what are you talking about? And then <laughs> Troy used emotion, so I guess that would make sense. And then JJ writes back, the guy with the black hair. I don't know. So the whole day, I'm like, who is this captain with the black hair who used emotion? And then when she came home, we did some detective work and we figured out she was talking about McCoy. <laughs> the only sad part is that she said her teacher started by saying, does anyone in here watch Star Trek? And when nobody raised their hand, my sweet child did raise her hand, even though she doesn't watch Star Trek, because I guess she figured she's soaked up enough of it for me so i yeah. thought that was sweet and then immediately had to text me to tell me about it but these kids today are not watching star trek these high schoolers well I mean, you know that's what kid cuddy's for right <laughs> i don't know that that's gonna help <laughs> no, it's, a, it's a start kid kid cuddy and kooky animated videos that's gonna bring in the kids yeah We'll see. But anyway, it was a very funny thing, and I'm very happy she has a teacher who's using Star Trek, as so many teachers have done before, to illustrate points. And he was talking about persuasion and emotion, logic, and ethics. So he said Kirk was ethics, Spock was logic, and McCoy was emotion. And then you catch me explaining to my kid about how they're all facets of the same personality, and then she wandered away and bored. <laughs> <laughs> She didn't want your dissertation on, you know. She pretended the, to be. She gave it a good go of pretending to be interested. That's good. <laughs> well, at least, you know, she was able to learn something new about Star Trek. I guess that's it for this week. Yeah. You know, we'll be back to review episode four. I haven't watched it yet. I'm excited. Yeah, same here. All right. We'll see you next week. <laughs>